0: I promise I won't keep you too awful long. It's been a long time for service here. It's been great, hasn't it? It's been wonderful. Probably shouldn't have promised that, should I, honey? <laughs> Romans eight twenty eight through 32. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh, those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he also called. Those he called he also justified. And those he justified he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If Yahweh is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? It's difficult to choose your favorite verses of the Bible when you love the Bible so much. But that being said, I really do think that this particular text today is one of my favorite passages in the entirety of the scriptural canon. One of my favorites. As I've been going through Romans 8 the past several weeks... What we've seen, beginning at verse 17, is that the Apostle Paul focuses in on our sufferings in this present age. And our sufferings because of our mortality. Our human condition. But not only has he been writing about suffering now, he's also been writing about being glorified later. So that we have something to look forward to. Brother Danny, we have something to hope for.
1: That it will be
0: worth it after all. If we suffer with Him, that is our Messiah, we will be glorified with Him. And I tell you today that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to follow. And I also tell you that all things, whether you think it or not, all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh. Those who are called according to His purpose. I could not do what I do Without these verses. These verses are my life. They're my breath. They're what keeps me going. I trust in these verses. I hold fast to them. And I believe in them with all my heart. Because I know that this momentary light affliction. Is producing for us. An absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And I know that whatever I go through in this life. For righteousness' sake, which is for the sake of the Father and His Son, whatever I go through in this life, as far as sufferings are concerned, it's not even worth dwelling upon. Because I am having a place prepared for me in which I will be glorified, immortal, and I'll live forever. So I'm so thankful for that. And so what we do is we come to Romans 8.29. And we come today to the reason that we can have confidence in our salvation. We come to the reason we can be assured that we are in Him. Once again, Romans eight twenty-eight 28 through 29. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh. Those who are called according to His purpose for those He foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. I believe we have to read Romans eight twenty-eight. 28. To fully comprehend Romans 8, 29. Verse 29 begins with the word for. And what it's doing is it's introducing a thought that has to be based upon that which was previously declared. We can be assured about verse 28 because of what's written in verse 29. We can know all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh because of what Paul writes in the next verse. Whenever you read the Bible, you need to do What's called 2020 vision, 2020 rule. You need to read the verse, but you need to read 20 verses before it and 20 verses after it. Because you won't understand that verse unless you get the context of that verse.
1: The majority of
0: the time, Sister Alyssa's smiling back there, right? You like that, Sister. <laughs> the majority of the time that people misinterpret the Bible is because they do not read the context. That's the majority of misinterpretation. So you use that twenty twenty rule. You remember that, sister. <laughs> Praise Yahweh. We can know that all things are working together for the good of those who love Yahweh because those who love Yahweh, truly love Yahweh, have been foreknown and they've also been predestined. And then in verse 30 we learn that those foreknown and predestined have also been called, justified, and glorified. And it's spoken of in the past tense as though we've already been glorified. And the reason it's spoken of in the past tense is not because it's already happened and we're in the future. But it's because that those who have truly been foreknown, all of them, will eventually be glorified. This is what's called in theology the golden chain of redemption. The first two links on the chain I'm going to talk about tonight, foreknowledge and predestination. Next comes being called, being justified, and glorified. There's five links on the golden chain of redemption. And that chain is golden because it does not break. There's no missing pieces in the chain. All those who are truly foreknown will eventually be glorified. I'm going to build upon that in this sermon today. So verse 29 begins by speaking of those that Yahweh the Father foreknew. And the literal meaning of that word is to know something beforehand or to foresee something. Now, some people believe. That this is just a bare, raw knowledge that Yahweh has, in this sense. Because Yahweh God is omniscient, which is a fancy word that means he knows everything. Omni, and then science is dealing with knowledge. So he knows everything, omniscience. They think that because Yahweh is omniscient, he can see ahead of time, he can look down through the hallway or through the corridor of time, and he can see ahead of time who is going to choose him. And then on the basis of the choice of man, Yahweh then makes his choice, mentioned here in Romans 8.29. That's the majority view in Christianity today. Now, however, and this shouldn't surprise you, that's not my view. I know you're thinking right now, you know, it's never your view, Brother Matthew. You always have another view, right? But a lot of times I have another view because we read the Bible, right? We don't just carry it around under our arm. We actually study the Bible. Which is what we're supposed to do. And I'm not alone in my view. But those that take my position that I'm about to explain are very, very few in number compared to those who take the bare foreknowledge view. We've got to distinguish when we read the Bible between what I'm going to call bare knowledge and intimate knowledge. There has to be a distinction made. For example, the scripture tells us that the demons, whoever they might be, The demons know that there is one God. The book of James chapter 2 says that. Right? But that's just a bare knowledge. They have that bare, raw knowledge that one mighty one exists. One supreme being exists. But yet they do not have a living faith. They do not have a heart change. They do not have a renewed mind. And how do we know this? It's because they do not obey Yahweh. They have a raw faith, head knowledge, that there exists one God, but they have no works or fruit to back up that faith. Do you see that? The demons have that bare knowledge, okay? Scripture also tells us in Romans 1, 18 through 20, it tells us that unregenerate people, people that are not even born from above, they know that God exists because of the natural creation. Listen to this. It says this. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The unregenerate man, the unsaved people, they hold down the truth. They know, they have that raw knowledge that God exists because when they look at the creation, whether they want to admit it to you or not, they know deep down inside there is a creator. That's why I don't believe in atheists. I know people say, well, I'm one. You don't believe in them, I'm one. To me, that doesn't matter because my standard is the Bible. And the Bible says in Romans through 20 that because of the creation, because of the things that exist, even the people that think or tell you that they don't believe there is a creator, they do have a raw knowledge of a creator. It goes on to say, This is because that Yahweh has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made, and as a result, people are without excuse. So the point here is in that one sense, everyone has a bare knowledge of the existence of God, whether they admit to it or not. This does not mean, though, this does not mean, though, that they have an intimate, salvific knowledge of God. For Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians one twenty-one. the same author, he states that the unregenerate man does not know Yahweh. Now, the anti-Paul people want to say, well, see, you see how Paul contradicts himself. One place he says the unregenerate person does know God. The next place he says they don't know God. So let's throw him out. No, that's surface reading. That's surface reading. I can throw out Moses if we read like that. I can show you where Moses is like. He contradicts himself. What Paul is talking about in one text is that the unregenerate man has the bare knowledge like the demons, but they do not have the intimate knowledge, the loving knowledge, the salvific knowledge. Do you see that? Hallelujah. Now, here's an example of a more intimate knowledge that a lot of you will know about. It's in Luke 1.34, where Miriam is told by Gabriel, the angel, that she will have a child. And that he will be called the son of the highest. And then she replies to Gabriel after Gabriel tells her this. And she says, how is this possible seeing I have not known a man? Now, the HCSB, the Bible I normally use, translates her as saying this. I have not been intimate with a man.
1: And that's not a a
0: bad translation. That's a meaning for meaning translation. It's not incorrect. But literally, though, the Greek word is gnosko. And it means to know. Or to have knowledge. That's what it literally means. So a literal translation would be, Mary said, I do not know a man. Now let me ask you this. Did Mary know a man? Well, in one sense, in bare knowledge, of course. She knew many men. She knew her dad. She knew Joseph. She knew the other Israelites in the community. She had a bare knowledge of men. But when that word ginosko was used in that context... She was speaking of a different type of knowledge, an intimate knowledge. A knowledge of intimacy with Joseph. I've never been intimate with Joseph. How is this going to happen, Gabriel? So there's a bare knowledge, and there's a, a more intimate context of knowledge. So, is Romans 8, 29, for those who he foreknew, is that God's bare knowledge? That he looks through the corridors of time? He sees you choose him And on that basis, then He chooses you. In other words, you make the first choice and He makes the second one. Is that what it's talking about? I don't think so. I think it's saying He foreknew you intimately, lovingly. It was His choice that gets you eventually to glorification. It was His choice that eventually makes you choose after you are born. Because, see, I believe that the Bible teaches us that those that are in the Messiah have been predestined before the foundation of the world. Just like Yeshua was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. You couldn't have stopped Calvary if you had all the armies in the world come together. You couldn't have stopped it because Yahweh already had it planned out. And you can't thwart Yahweh's plan. You can't do it. See, today I believe in an almighty sovereign creator. My Creator doesn't try to do anything. If He wants to do something, He does it. If He wants to change your heart, Brother Geary, He changes your heart. You can't stop Him. It's called irresistible grace is what it's called. So, if you've been following in Romans 8, I think you will agree that we're speaking about beloved individuals that Yahweh intimately foreknows for salvation. Not just bare, not just raw, He knows them intimately. It's loving. And notice that the text does not say that Yahweh knows something about us. It doesn't say he knows what we're going to do. It says he knows us. There's a difference. You say it's slight, but it's there. It's there. He didn't know something about you. He didn't know Danny was going to believe and said, okay, I'm going to choose Danny because I know he's going to believe because I saw it happen in the future. No. It says he knew Danny, not about Danny. And the reason that Danny believes is because Yahweh foreknew Danny. That's why he believes. Okay? It's the first link on the chain. Paul has just got through doing his best to encourage individual people in their sufferings in this life. And so he continues to do so here by writing to them, this is how they can know that Yahweh is working everything out according to the good in their life. It begins with the intimate foreknowledge of Almighty Yahweh. He loves them beforehand and He chooses them beforehand. Think about it like this. Think about it like this. In the bare raw knowledge sense, Yahweh foreknows everybody, doesn't He? If He's omniscient, He foreknows everybody. But these individuals here in Romans 8, 29, of which you are one of, if you're born of the Spirit, you're one of these individuals today. He foreknew you, so that has to mean, because He knows everybody in a raw knowledge sense, that has to mean He knows certain A specific number of individual people in a loving relationship way. It has to mean that. So, we've covered the first four words of Romans 8, 29. It's taken about 20 minutes to do that, so let's move on, okay? We'll get to the rest of it here. So we read again, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, a lot of people do not like this word.
1: They don't like this
0: word. Had somebody tell me this past week, that's a mistranslation. It should be predetermined. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Father, give me patience because I need it right now. Because, you know, I don't want to just blow up on this person. Because predetermined means the same thing. as predestined. doesn't mean anything different. Predetermined, predestination. You want to, like somebody said, I want to grab them and just shake them and say, hey, can't you see this? So predetermination, that's fine. That's okay. We can translate it like that. No problem there. I'll let my temperature go down now. Praise the Father, Brother Tim. (laughs) So, a lot of people don't like the word predestination, and a lot of people see that the God of Scripture does something called predestined people, and they then say some things like this. Well, I can't believe in a God who is like that. Well, here's the dilemma. If you believe in the Bible, then you have to have a doctrine of predestination. Whatever it is. you have to have a doctrine of predestination if you believe the Bible because the Bible speaks of predestination. It was not invented by Augustine. It was not invented by Martin Luther. It was not invented by John Calvin. The Bible teaches predestination. It is very biblical. Now, these men that I mentioned, these are men that to certain degrees believed in the doctrine of predestination, like I do, but they didn't invent it. They did not invent it. They got it from Scripture. So, what is predestination? Well, it's akin, it's similar to the word for foreknowledge. That word for foreknowledge, whom you did foreknow, that word in the Greek is pro Pro is before, and then gnosko is the knowledge, alright? The word predestined is pro-orizo. Pro is before, to predetermine something, alright? And that word orizo is to determine or to destine something. So, it means to determine something beforehand. And it is not a word. A lot of people think this, but it is not a word that is only used by Paul. It is also used by the apostles who were led by Peter and John in their prayer in Acts 4. I want to read part of this prayer found in Acts 4, 24 through 28. The disciples, the apostles, they lifted up their arms to heaven. They began to pray to the Father, and they, they told the Father, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. And everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against Yahweh and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Yeshua whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, pro orizo, to take place. All Herod and Pontius Pilate were doing was exactly what Yahweh already planned to happen. The the apostles recognized that. They recognized that. So what we see here is that the early apostles recognized that what happened to Yeshua the Messiah is torture, his crucifixion, his death, was exactly what Yahweh had already predetermined. So I have to ask this question to you today. Could anything else have happened to the Messiah? Brother Tim shakes his head no, and he's exactly right. Unless you believe that the plan of Yahweh could be stopped.
1: And I think you got major
0: problems there if you think that. Okay, we could go through the Psalms, maybe some passages in the prophecy of Isaiah. But Yahweh's plan cannot be stopped. You can't stop Yahweh, okay And unless you believe that you can, the answer has to be no. Only that which was predetermined by Yahweh could take place and nothing else. Now I told you this is part of the scriptures that many people have issues with because it's difficult. They say you mean we have a creator that predetermines things? Yes, it's because he's the creator and we're not. He's the potter. we're the clay. When is the last time you saw a potter? You can watch a lot of great videos on YouTube where these these potters, they'll make these beautiful vases. And when is the last time that you saw that clay open up a mouth and tell the potter to make them like this? Now, I know that is very humbling and humiliating because our humanity wants to have something to do with our salvation. We want to be able to say... I did this, instead of humble ourselves and say, I didn't do anything, Yahweh did this to me. But that's the attitude we're supposed to have, if you believe in the doctrine of predestination. So we go back to Romans 8, and what we see here is the second link on the golden chain of redemption. The first link was Yahweh's intimate foreknowledge, and the second link is Yahweh's predestination. All those that Yahweh foreknew, that's loving knowledge, He also Predestined. He predetermined them. In other words, it was not their choice that made Yahweh choose. That would not be Yahweh predetermining. That would be man determining. you see that? Then it wouldn't be predetermination. It's rather Yahweh's choice that makes a person choose. People do choose to follow Yahweh. People choose to follow Yahweh. But the question is, why do they do that? We make choices based upon something that's internal, and you make a choice to serve Yahweh, but there's a reason behind that choice, and that reason is Yahweh. And Paul didn't make this up. Ezekiel is my Ezekiel thirty-six is my favorite chapter in the whole Scripture, and it says, "I will" about sixteen times, and it's Yahweh speaking. He says, "I." will put a new heart in you. And I will give you a new spirit. And I will cause you to keep my commandments. And you will be made clean. And when Yahweh says you will be made clean, that means you won't be dirty anymore. Spiritually. He will do exactly what He sets out to do. Our Savior doesn't try to save and fail. He doesn't try to save and said, I can't save Brother Geary because he won't let me do it. If he wants to save him, he saves him and he does it like this. He changes his heart. He does spiritual heart surgery on Brother Geary, spiritual brain surgery on Brother Geary, And then, because he has a new heart and a new brain, he then wants to make the proper choices. So the choices are being made from the human perspective, but they're being made based upon something that's a lot greater than us. There's two perspectives going on here. It's like a tapestry. We look at a tapestry down from this perspective that's being built in heaven and we see this is a mess. This is crazy. This doesn't look beautiful at all. But from Yahweh's perspective up there, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And we may not see the fullness of it until we make it to the kingdom of Yahweh. But that's something we've got to look forward to there. Hallelujah. Hey, He doesn't give it all to us in this life. He gives us something to look forward to. So, People choose to follow Yahweh, but in a large scope, it is only because Yahweh chose them first. It's kind of like the verse that you hear quoted in 1 John 4, 19. We love Him because He first loved us. That's just not a song. That's just not fancy preacher words. That's in the Bible. That's a beautiful passage. So if you ask me, Matthew, why do you love Yahweh? I don't say, well, it's because me and this other guy, we were sitting in a service. We heard a great message, and I was just a little bit more smart than he was. So I was able to respond to that. No, you would have something to boast about then, wouldn't you? You could say, I'm going to make it to the kingdom because I was smarter than the guy sitting more beside me. He was dumber than I was. Therefore, you're boasting. You have something to boast about in your salvation. But if you ask me, Matthew, why do you love Yahweh? I say, it's because He loved me first. It's because He chose me. That's why I love Him. Then, guess what? I don't get any of the glory. Salvation truly is by grace. And guess what else? You can also then believe in the doctrine of obedience to the Torah because obedience to the Torah is not what foreknows you. It's not what predestines you. It's not what calls you. It's the fruit of all that. It's born out of all that. And you can recognize when you obey the Torah, you tell people, I do this not to be saved, but I do it because Yahweh has saved me. He has brought me from darkness into this marvelous light. He's changed my heart. He's changed my mind. He's done a surgery on me. Praise Yahweh. Is it alright? We get a little excited in here. Is that okay? They said we grew up in Pentecostal, so sometimes it comes out, you know. Praise the Father. So, praise Yahweh. The text says that we know all things work together for the good of those who love Yahweh, those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow. These he also did predestinate. It all starts with the creator. It doesn't start with a creature. Don't think it starts with you. It starts with the creator. The creator and his free will. He has free, autonomous free will to do what he wants to do. So, what does this predestination mean for these people? Well, let's allow the text to answer it for us. It says that he, speaking of Yahweh the Father, predestined these people to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, first of all, what we see here, is what we see through all of the Bible. We see Yahweh, the Father, and then we see His Son, Yeshua the Messiah. There's a Father and there's a Son. They're not one and the same. It's not the Son who is foreknowing and predestinating people. The Son doesn't predestinate. The Father predestinates His people to be conformed to the image of His Son. Did you see that? The Son doesn't do the predestinating. The Father does. But the Son's in the plan. Because His plan is that we're conformed to His Son's image. Now, I'm going to move along from there. That's not my point in the sermon. I just wanted to bring that up. Secondly, what does this mean to be conformed to the Son's image? Well, I think that it's twofold. I really do. I think it refers to the here and now, and also to that which comes in the future. And this is why there is absolutely nothing wrong. Listen closely. There's nothing wrong with doing anything that Yeshua the Messiah did. Nothing wrong with it. If he's the spiritual lamb without blemish, then to imitate him on this earth is not only permissible, but it is the only way to live. The only way. There is no other alternative. There is no alternative lifestyle. The only lifestyle is following the footsteps of the Son. Right? Anything else is, guess what? A death style. That's what it is, because it will lead to death. I just told somebody the other day, they asked me, they said, Brother Matthew, why do you keep the Passover? And I kept it simple. I said this. I said, I want to be like the Messiah. He kept the Passover, so I want to follow in his footsteps. And they looked at me, or or they they just got quiet. But what can you say to that? The very Son of Yahweh kept the Passover.
1: We have a record in Luke
0: 2 where he was 12 years old. He went to Jerusalem with his mom and dad. To to Jerusalem to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He kept the Passover, the lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, and all. How can Matthew be wrong for keeping the Passover and Yeshua be okay? That doesn't make any sense. That's two different standards. I want to be like the Son. It's because Yahweh is conforming me to the image of His Son. He's conforming me. I'm not there yet. I won't be there yet until I'm glorified. But He's conforming me. Praise Yahweh. So here's the beauty of it Yahweh saves people from their sins. He doesn't save them in their sins, He saves them from their sins. There is a false doctrine in the world that they have once saved, always saved, that I do not believe. It says, though Yahweh saves people, preachers say, but then they just continue to live any way that they want to by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. And they still think that they're saved because it's just all by grace. I'm just saved by grace and not by works. That's a false doctrine of once saved always saved. It's not true. I believe in eternal security, but those that are secure are eternally in Him. And when He saves them, He saves them from their sins, not to keep them in their sins. You cannot look at me and tell me that you are saved if you're not a changed person. If you still do the same things that you did prior to your profession of faith, Go to the same places, talk the same talk, walk the same walk, dress the same way, act the same way, do all those same things, and then show up for church once a week and tell me, Brother Matthew, I'm saved. You are a liar. You are deceiving yourself. You cannot say that you know Yahweh if you do not keep His commandments. You cannot. And a lot of people, most people in the world today that think that they're saved are not saved. They're not. They're not saved. And I gotta watch myself because I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm just trying to get a point across. They're not saved. They're not. Do you know why I know? Because there's no fruit. Do you know the Bible calls us to be fruit inspectors? You tell somebody that, and they say, "Well, judge not lest you be judged." And then you ask them, well, "Where's that verse at?" And they say, "Well, it's in there somewhere. I don't know where it's at. It's in there somewhere." <laughs> can you can you can you, show, can you show me the 2020 rule? Did you read 20 verses before and 20 verses after Matthew 7 verse 1? That's where it's at. Did you do that? No, they didn't do that. They rip it out of its context. You're supposed to judge if you're a spiritual person. You're supposed to look for fruit. And if you don't see fruit, then you know there's no tree. Every good tree brings forth what kind of fruit? Good fruit. But the corrupt tree brings forth bad fruit or corrupt fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth corrupt fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. That's the words of our Master in Matthew 7. So, we have to be careful. When we profess, we've got to make sure we actually do possess. And we're not just saying things with our lips, all right? So, people say it's all by grace, and that's what we're learning here. I do believe it's all by grace. But see, the grace of Yahweh, his intimate foreknowledge and predetermination of a person, is for the purpose of conforming that person to the image of his son. That's why, if he has truly saved the person by his own sovereign free will, they will, over the period of their life, become more and more. and more and more like the Messiah. Their life, you'll see. It won't be overnight. And don't think that somebody has to change overnight. Don't ever put that pressure on somebody. You didn't change overnight. Nobody in here changed overnight. It was gradual. always showed you a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. You know a lot more when you're 15 years old spiritually than you do when you're a one year old spiritually. That's because Yahweh's a loving Father. He doesn't put more on you than you can handle. He gives you a little bit at a time. So don't think that somebody else that's just being regenerated, has to change overnight either. You give them grace, you help them, you teach them the right way,
1: and if they're truly
0: saved, they'll grow. They'll become more and more like the sun. They'll become more and more like the sun. So let me get a little bit plain here, a little bit practical. Here's what the here and now means. He's conforming us, he's predestining us to be like his son. That's what this means. Where you might have once been a bitter, hateful person, you've now been changed into a loving, caring person. Where you once only looked out for yourself, you've now been changed into someone who looks out for other people. Where you once wanted to be served, you've been changed to where you want to do the serving. Where you once put everything earthly first, you've been changed now to put Yahweh first. Where you once were a thief, you've now been changed into a giver. Where you once were full of adultery and fornication, you've now been changed into desiring purity and chastity. Where you once could care less about the Sabbath, You've now been changed into wanting to honor Yahweh's set-apart day. Where you once didn't know anything about the appointments, you've been changed now to looking forward to the appointments. Where you once thought days like Christmas and Easter and a host of other ones were holy, now that you've been changed, you see that you can't mix good with evil. Where you once ate anything that didn't eat you first, you've now been changed into desiring to only eat from Yahweh's menu. Where you once were embarrassed to be different from the world, you've now been changed to desire to dress modestly or to do things like wear tassels or do anything outwardly that Yahweh commands.
1: Where you once had a
0: heart and a mind that was set on filth, you've been changed. Brothers and sisters, you've been changed. You've been changed. You say, I've been changed. I've been changed. I've been changed. That's what this is talking about. You've been changed. He didn't do it. He did it for you. You've been changed. That's why you want it. That's why you're here today. That's why you can't pass over yesterday. It's because you've been changed. You've been changed. See, this is what we've been predestined to. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of His dear Son, who was perfect, never sinned. But that's not where it ends. That's only one aspect of being conformed to the image of His Son. The other one involves the future. That involves a resurrection body. And that fits hand in glove with what Paul has written in Romans 8 up to this point. See, conformed to the image of His Son doesn't just mean living like the Son in this life. It means one day you'll be resurrected to eternal life like the Son. See, He was the first one to ever get it. That's why it's called the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep, see. He's the first one to get it, but He's the firstborn of many brethren, right? So you will receive at the resurrection immortality, just like the Son received about 2,000 years ago on the 16th day of Aviv, the day that's coming up and is approaching. He was the first fruit offering. And hopefully you remember, those that were here, what I said a few weeks back. Where there's a first fruit, there's also a full harvest. You never cut a first fruit and then don't make a harvest. And if He's the first fruit of those that sleep, that means there are other ones that have fallen asleep that will be conformed fully to the image of His Son on that day. On that day at the resurrection. He's the firstborn of many brethren. And that's what Romans 8, 29 says. Let's let's read it again. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that He, speaking of the Son, would be the firstborn... Among many brothers. And you know what? You could put sisters in there too. It's okay. That's what it's talking about. It's people there. It's people. So sisters don't feel left out just because it says brothers. You will be changed too. And you will be conformed to the image of His Son too. See. And when people say, well, why do you do this? And why do you do that? And why do you go to church on this day? You say, well, you always love me first. And He's conforming me to the image of His Son. That's why I do it. I want to be like the Son. I want to be like the son. The firstborn holds a special position. That's because he's the special son, he's the unique son, he's the only begotten son, he's the firstborn son, and he's the special person. But isn't it wonderful that we're made to be fellow heirs with the Messiah? You remember that verse in verse seventeen in Romans eight? We're heirs of Yahweh. We get Yahweh's inheritance, but we're co heirs, fellow heirs with the Messiah. In other words, we'll inherit exactly the same thing that the Messiah inherited. See? So we are the many brothers and sisters that are birthed after Him. And one day, that's going to take place in its fullness. We'll meet Him. We'll hug Him. I'll give Him a holy kiss right on the beard. Tell Him that I love Him. Tell Him I tried to imitate Him. I know I didn't do it perfect, but I tried to imitate Him in my life. And enter in. Enter in, thou good and faithful slave we will meet the very Son of the Almighty. We'll be fully conformed to His image on that day. And so we've covered only one verse. I could keep going on. I'm not going to because i talked way too long already as it is on one verse. So we're going to cover another verse, maybe two, next week. And we're going to talk more about this golden chain of redemption. Okay? If anybody has any questions, feel free to come up to me after, after the service. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Praise the Father. Almighty Yahweh, we love you. We thank you. Father Yahweh, I just pray that everybody would just meditate on your scriptures today. And Father Yahweh, I pray that they would understand that I, I don't, I'm don't, i not trying to make them believe what I believe. I'm just trying to teach the Bible. That's all I'm trying to do. And Father Yahweh, if I'm wrong on any of this, I pray that you would show me. I'd be humble enough to receive correction. And Father Yahweh, if anyone in here is wrong on this text, I pray they would be humble enough to receive correction. Father, that's all we want. I heard it said earlier, all we we should desire is the truth. Not a systematic theology or anything a denomination wants to give us, but we just want to know the truth. And Father, I just pray every time we open up our Bible that we would just say, say a little prayer. Father, show me your truth. Help me be humble enough to accept your truth. I love it. I want to live it. Thank you, Father, for knowing us intimately. Thank you for predestinating us, predetermining our lives. To be conformed to the image of your son. So that you just don't have one son, but he's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So we've been adopted into that family, Yahweh, and we're thankful for that today. We glorify you. And if we're children, then that means we're heirs. And so we thank you and we praise you. And it's through your Son we pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you. I love you. You still love me? Praise Yahweh. Love you God.